SAFM Sports Wrap. Good evening to you. Welcome to SAFM Sports Wrap this evening. And gee, it's been a busy news day, but it's been a pretty busy sporting news day today as well. I'm Brad Brown with you until 7 o'clock this evening. And coming up on tonight's show, we'll chat to SAFM Sports Editor Janet Witten about uh, the story that broke today around the match fixing and uh, the FIFA Ethics Committee banning one of the SAFA officials. We'll find out more about that on this evening's show. We'll also uh, take a look at the Absa Cape Epic. They announced their route today as well. So it's a big, uh, big excitement. And we'll start with cricket, though. The Proteas have lost the second one-day international against India by 22 runs. We'll unpack that loss with Natalie Germanis in just a short while as well. Two test matches on the go as we speak. It's day two of the first test between England and Pakistan in Abu Dhabi today. Pakistan declared their first innings on 523 for eight. In reply, England were able to reach 56 without loss at stumps. Bad news, though, for the visitors. Seema Stephen Finn has been ruled out to the rest of the tour. He's picked up a stress fracture in his left foot. Meanwhile, in Gaul, Sri Lanka were able to reach 250 for the loss of two at stumps on day one of their first test against the West Indies. Momentum one-day cup action taking place at St. George's Park in Port Elizabeth this evening as well. Batting first, the Warriors posted 276 for 7 in their 50 overs. In reply, the Dolphins 30 for the loss of 1. Springbok coach Hane Kamea announced his match day 23 that'll take on Wales in the first quarter final of the 2015 Rugby World Cup on Saturday. The coach has made one change from that uh, from the team that beat the USA last week. JP Peterson replaces Loisian Volvo on the wing. There's no place for Victor Matfield in the match day 23 and France Malharba retained his place in the starting lineup ahead of Yanni Duplessis, a tight head prop. Maya has placed his confidence in locks Luit Diaga and Ibn Etzebeth after Matfield failed to recover from a hamstring strain in time. It's losing both captains and Victor, especially in this game where they're very good in the lineouts. but the youngsters have done well and uh, we're going to back them. They've learned a lot from him and the type of rugby they've been playing is, is awesome. Probably two of the best locks at the moment. So it's a big setback, but uh, still have very good locks going forward. Mayor believes Saturday's clash is going to be a very closely fought affair with uh, the team that makes uh, the least mistakes winning. If you look at Wales, they're a quality side. Um, you know, they don't concede tries. I think only two in the first four games. Um, and they play a very, very disciplined type of rugby. Um, no weak areas there. They're very direct, and uh, they use the 12 to run up and to build phases to put you under pressure with discipline. So discipline's going to be very, very important. The breakdown's also going to be vital in the clash in France, while Lowe's expecting a huge battle against Welsh captain Sam Warburton at the breakdown. The block, uh, the Bock flank says the Bocks are hoping to dominate this area. Our emphasis has always been to... You know, to really focus on that area, uh, to get quick ball when we are attacking, to get our cleaners in early, and obviously not give their uh, you know their ball their ball poachers half a chance to uh, to get in there. So uh, it'll be a big area for us. You know, they've got guys there who are quick on the ball, who do a good job of it. The full team in the backs, Vili LaRue, J.P. Peterson, Jesse Creel, Damien Derlander, Brian Abana, Andre Pollard and Farid Apria. The forwards, Dwayne Vermeulen, Skulk Berger, Francois Lowe, Luit Diaga, Ibn Etzebeth, uh, Francois Hadber, Bismarck Duplessis and uh, Beast and Tawarira, the replacements. Uh, Andre Strauss, Trevor Yakani, Yanni Duplessis, Peter Steff, Detroit, Willem Alberts, Ruan Pinar, Pat Lambie and Jan Serfentain. 
on to football now and as I mentioned at the top of the show former SAFA official Ndile Eskika has been suspended by FIFA for six years as part of ongoing match fixing investigations the investigation centred around friendly international fixtures played in the build up to the 2010 Soccer World Cup which was hosted here in South Africa UEFA have opened disciplinary proceedings against English and Lithuanian football associations over crowd disturbances during the Euro 2016 qualifier and in tennis news Kevin Anderson advanced to the third round of the Shanghai Masters today Tom Bartlett filed this report Anderson has overcome the Italian Fabio Fornini 6-3-7-6 to reach the last 16. A solitary break of serve handed the towering South African the initiative in this match, and while Fornini pushed the second set to a tie-break, Anderson closed out the victory in an hour and 25 minutes. Of course, he's only been inside the world's top 10 for a few days, but Anderson's quickly proving here that he belongs in it. Nishikori is an imposing challenge next up, however. The Japanese world number seven advancing after he came from a set down to beat Australian Nick Kyrgios. Andy Murray has had no such difficulties. A comfortable first up victory for the British number one. While the top seed and world number one Novak Djokovic has also made a stirring start to his campaign. He's been a straight sets winner. Rafael Nadal had to battle to victory over Ivo Karlovic. The Spaniard is slowly but surely showing signs he can again be the sensation we know that he is. Tom Barlett for SAFM Sport, Shanghai. Coming up next on SAFM Sport Trap, we'll touch base with Natalie Jamanis and find out exactly what happened in India today. SAFM Sports Wrap. You're listening to SAFM Sports Wrap and we've been following this tour of India with uh, quite a lot of interest because uh, the Proteas are there first of all for a long, long time but they got the tour off to a great start. They clinched the T20 series 2-0 with uh, the last one being uh, a no result because of rain and then started the one-day series fantastically well on the weekend, on Sunday, claiming uh, victory in the first ODI, and a, a wonderful opportunity for the Proteus today to go 2-0 ahead. India won the toss, they chose to bat. Natalie Germanis joins us now. Natalie, India posted 247 for 9 in their 50 overs. South Africa, at the break, must have thought, you know what, we're in with a shot here to go 2-0 up. They, they would have felt that definitely. South Africa would have been disappointed with how they ended India's innings because after 40 overs, India were 165 for 7. And then they had an amazing finish, which brought them up to 247. Thanks mostly to Mahindra Singh Dhoni, who was brilliant today, making 92 under field, just 86 balls, 7 fours, 4 sixes. And he absorbed a huge amount of pressure, not just within the game, but within the series as well, because he's been under pressure. He hasn't really been performing, and his team hasn't been performing consistently. So there was a massive amount of pressure for him. And in the end, he made a wonderful 92. South Africa didn't finish that innings well, but a target of 248 on this pitch and with a brilliant outfield, they would have been disappointed if they didn't get there. You, you mentioned MS Dhoni and, and the pressure he was under, not just in, in today's game, but from a, a captaincy and, and his place perspective, those runs uh, in the end were, were pretty much what separated the two teams. Yeah, he's an amazing player. He really is. His record is unbelievable. Playing in 267 ODIs, in 233 innings, he's scored 60 fifties. That's six. Oh, today was his 60th. That is a wonderful record in one-day internationals. He's actually got a, a better average as captain of India than he does before he was made captain. He averages 57 with that as captain, and he averaged before that 44. So it just shows you he loves the captaincy. He thrives under pressure. He's one of the best finishers in the game, and today he showed that yet again. He, he certainly played a major role in the mistakes they made in the first ODI, and he took responsibility for that. And he did say, put his hand up, he was involved in the botched run chase, as it was called. And today, he turned 
things around. He played much better. He played with a, a cooler head and didn't allow South Africa to get on top of him, even though the rest of his batsmen did struggle. Let's talk about South Africa's bowling attack and uh, how they performed today. I mean, the wickets were pretty evenly spread, so everyone picking up except J.P. Dumini and, and Fahan Behadin. Dale Steyn, pretty impressive up front. Uh, three sticks for him, and then Kahisa Rabane and Mornay Morkel chipping in with one and two respectively. It was a good performance by the Quicks today. It, it certainly was. There's no doubt about it. They'll be quite happy with their efforts. Um, a little bit expensive in patches. Kakisa Rabada bowled around the over number 40. And again, he struggled with that in the first ODI and today as well. A little bit expensive. One or two overs just went for more than they would have liked at quite a crucial stage. But he, again, has showed so much maturity with the ball. He's been so impressive to watch. Dale Stain had a wonderful day picking up those three wickets. Morkel chipped in as well. they just got to watch out for the number of wides. Iman Tahir bowled very nicely today. He was economical. And his last over was incredibly expensive, and it actually messed up his figures. He could have probably finished with two for about 35 in his 10 overs, but he was a bit expensive in his last over. But uh, the number of wides in the end equated to 10 runs for South Africa, so that's quite a lot. Natalie, looking at that run chase, if you just look at that scorecard, I think the South Africans will be bitterly disappointed if if you look at the way the batsmen, pretty much everyone got in except David Miller. He went out first ball, but everyone got in, got double figures, and then got out. Yeah, absolutely. And Quinton McCook being one of the, the ones that has been the major culprit because he does that quite often in his career. He gets a good 20 or 50 and then gets out. And we saw Fast Duplessy get out after making a 50. JP Dumini as well. A couple of them were really poor dismissals also. I think A.B. De Villiers, despite the fact there was a very good catch from Vera Coley, De Villiers was, would have been irritated with himself that he gave it away at that stage because they were 167 for five then and they should have coasted home. And losing A.B. De Villiers wicket, everybody knows what a big wicket that is. And it made a massive difference. Unfortunately, David Miller is just not in form either. And that's a major concern for South Africa's middle order. Yeah, without a doubt. And I was just looking towards the end. I was keeping an eye on it while I was, was reading Sport on, on PM Live. And I was watching Kahisa Robada. And, and we've spoken about just how, how cool Carmen Collector is. And I thought to myself, is this youngster going to pull it off with a bat? He gave it his best shot, didn't he? Well, he was left stranded in the end, and he probably maybe could have taken South Africa there because he was playing so well. He made 19 to 23 undefeated, three fours he hit, with a real calm head. He's got something very, very special about him. It's a, it's a temperament that only comes around once in a lifetime. He's so calm in all situations against some of the toughest odds, obviously such a tough crowd in India as well, and against some of the best players in the world. Um, Kakisa Robada has shown such maturity at the age of just 20. Today, Makai Ntini equated into a West Indian because he's got that real calm attitude about him where he just walk in and he just plays the game and nothing gets to him. He's absolutely brilliant again today, and he definitely can hold his head high after today's performance. I think Makai is spot on, but for India, one of the, the, the positives is they didn't miss Ravi Ashwin. He's obviously picked up a, a side strain in the first ODI. His replacement, Harbhajan Singh, came in. Although he was a bit expensive, he picked up two wickets, and uh, they didn't really miss him from a, from a bowling perspective. Amazingly enough, um, they used their spinners very early on. Within the first 10 overs, they used both of their spinners. They had actually bowled 20 overs before the first drinks break, which you usually bowl about 17. That shows you how many overs the spinners were bowling up front. Akshay Patel as well was brilliant today with the ball. Left arm, orthodox spinner, makes a big difference, taking the ball away from the right hand. As he picked up three for 39 in 10 overs. Harbour Johnson, definitely expensive in the circumstances, but picked up crucial wickets at crucial times. And the, the wonderful thing about Harbour Johnson is that Tony can call on him at any stage of the game and that's what he did today. 
Well, the next one takes place on the 18th of October. Looking forward to that one. It is 1-1. Lots to play for in the series. Natalie Germanis, thank you very much uh, for that uh, sort of analysis on what happened today. And we look forward to the rest of the series. And we'll have coverage right here on SAFM. Thanks for your time this evening. Thank you very much. Join us throughout the month of October as we put the spotlight on South Africa's premier travel and tourism awards, honoring the best of the best in the South African tourism industry. The Lily Vella Tourism Awards, which were launched in 2013, recognize and celebrate those who have worked passionately to put South Africa on the global tourism stage. Join us as we'll be talking to provincial winners as we build towards the national event on the 22nd of October, where the best of the best in the tourism industry will be honoured. The Lily Zeller Tourism Awards. Don't forget to tune in to the health update tomorrow at 5 past 11, proudly brought to you by MediClinic. Expertise you can trust. SAFM Sports Wrap. You're listening to SAFM Sports Wrap, and uh, don't forget you can be in touch. Three four seven zero one. Those SMSs are charged at one rand. What did you make of the Proteas' performance earlier today? Uh, you can also tweet us or pop us a message on Facebook. Uh, just search for SAFM Sports Wrap. I'd also like to get your take on the box squad uh, for this weekend's quarterfinal against Wales uh, in the Rugby World Cup. Time to to chat some cycling now. It's probably one of the most eagerly awaited days in mountain biking, not just here in South Africa, but uh, in the world, where the announcement is made for next year's Absa Cape Epic route. A lot of the riders uh, would have had their eyes locked firmly on their computer screens today as it was streamed across the globe, and we join now by the official spokesperson for the Absa Cape Epic, Chris Whitfield. Chris, welcome onto SAFM Sports Trap. Thanks for joining us this evening. Thank you, Brad. Chris, this uh, today is one of the days that the cyclists really look forward to because they find out uh, exactly what's in store and how much pain they're going to have to go through next year. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, it's a well-kept secret, and um, there's been a lot of interest in in the, in the route uh, for this year. It does. It does. It does change uh, slightly from year to year, and obviously things get added and, and areas get taken away. But uh, obviously, when it comes to mountain biking, the Holy Grail is single track, and I see that uh, the most single track ever in any one of the editions up to now, 110 kilometers of the total, 647 in, in next year's edition. That's right. Yeah, it's the most um, collectively of any race on any year. In spite of the, the, the total distance, 647 kilometers, being slightly shorter, there's also a lot of climbing, so I think with the concentration that's going to be required on the single track and the, and the amount of climbing, um, people are going to find it a tough event. Yeah, 647 kilometres, I mean, that's over, over eight days. It's still a lot of, of riding from a, a distance perspective, like you say, slightly shorter than previous years. And I have to ask this, and I'm asking it slightly tongue-in-cheek, uh, is, is the reason it's slightly shorter, Dr. Evil's going easy on, on the founder of the Abscape Epic, Kevin Fomark, who's riding next year, or has it got nothing to do with that? <laughs> no, obviously everybody's speculating that, but the course design was actually done before before Kevin even entered. So, um, no, it's, uh, it's definitely got nothing to do with that. <laughs> no, no truth in those rumours. Let's talk about the amount <laughs> no. of climbing, because that's that's one thing the Absa Cape Epic is is famous for is is the amount of climbing. Just shy of fifteen thousand meters over eight days. That I mean, I can't even wrap my head around that, Chris. Yeah, it's a lot of climbing. There's um, you know, Christoph Sauser always says the real test of the epics, not in the numbers, not in the distance, not in the meters vertical gain, but is in the surface. And this is a lot of climbing, and I did um, a lot of the trial ride, and I, and I can tell uh, listeners that 
there is a lot of rough stuff out there. It's going to be tough. It's going to be a tough event. Uh, don't be deceived by the distance. Chris, yeah, the Epic is, is an interesting one because it, it almost, in, in my mind, seems to get tougher year after year after year. It's almost, and, and I don't want to say you're trying to exclude the, the weekend warrior who in the past uh, thought the Amster Cape Epic would be a good challenge to try and undertake, but it is becoming, a, a, I say becoming, it is a world-class event that attracts the best mountain bikers in the world. And you, you need to be providing a challenge for those guys because at the end of the day, it's it's... That's what what brings the media coverage. It's not necessarily guys like myself who who possibly would like to ride the Absa Cape Epic. It's the the world's best that the, the the world's media follows at that event, and and you need to keep it keep it really tough and keep them interested. Yeah, um, Brad, you're right. It's, it's definitely you've got to make it tough enough for the, for for it being worthwhile for them to come and say I won the Cape Epic or I came second. But um, at the same time, the route guys really do look for a look for a balance. Um, and they, they they have in mind the entire time the fact that an ordinary sort of weekend warrior will need to finish this event. So I, quite frankly, I don't think it has got harder from year to year. That is a myth. And if you talk to the guys who've done every year, they'll tell you that you know, 2007 was tough and then 2013 or whatever. But I don't think it gets harder every year. As far as riders and, and who's coming, the, the elite field will obviously be uh, sort of confirmed closer to, to the actual race week in a bit. But a uh, big announcement made today, former former Protea and Protea's coach Gary Kirsten going to be riding next year. Yes, yes, uh, Gary will be there. Um, we had a chat to him this week and he's very both nervous and excited. And he's going to be riding with, riding with um, uh, Michael Mould, who you'd know as a, as a television personality. So we're very excited about having him, him in the field. Yeah, I think that's a wise move from Gary, because I'd probably do the same if I rode the Epic. If I'm going to do it, I want to team up with a doctor, because you're going to need all the help <laughs> you're going to get. And obviously, Michael Moll's a qualified medical practitioner, so good call from Gary Kirsten. Uh, Chris, is there any... he's done the race twice. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. Is, is there anything else we should be looking out for, I mean, uh, with regards to, to sort of of interest that, that was announced today that we, we may have missed? Um, I think generally my own personal view on this, having read, uh, written a good section of it, is it might be the nicest route ever with all the single track and, and really challenging stuff. Uh, I think it'll be great. There's a very good um, international field already lined up with guys whose names would be familiar, like Alvin Lakata, uh, Christian Heineck of the Czech Republic, and Elias Pericles of, um, of Greece is coming out for the first year. He's a very, very strong marathon rider. So we, it's a very, it looks like it'll be a very strong field. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting one because obviously Christoph Sauz has announced his retirement and he won't be racing. So uh, it's an opportunity for, for some new names to, to, to pop up on, on the general classification and, and really make a name for themselves in, in, in one of the most iconic mountain bike races in the world. I mean, it's, it's been called the Tour de France of mountain biking for, for, for good reason. Yeah, absolutely. And Christoph will be riding with um, Bobby Behan of Specialized that he won't be racing. So he'll be watching with great interest. And, um, yeah, there's a lot of guys. I mean, uh, Alvin Lakata and Christian Heineck came second last year, and they were very close uh, to uh, Kulhavi and Sauza. And I think they would be early favorites. But there's a lot of guys out there who want to win it, and there's a lot of things that can happen over the eight days. So I think it'll be a thriller. 
Conway to love watching it and following it. It's taking place uh, the 13th to the 20th of March 2016. It is the Cape Epic and uh, we look forward to keeping you up to date here on SAFM with any developments in the build-up but we'll also be covering it uh, for you throughout the event as well. Chris, thank you so much for your time this evening and uh, we look forward to chatting to you again soon here on SAFM too. Thank you. Thank you, Brad. Pleasure. This is Sport on SAFM. Every supporter's greatest resource. You're listening to South Africa's news and information leader, and as you would have heard in the news today, uh, the FIFA Ethics Committee being very, very busy once again, and they announced uh, a six-year ban on a former SAFA official, uh, Ace Kicker, and we're joined now by SAFM Sports Editor Janet Whitten. Janet, you've been following this story very, very closely, and uh, it's, it's been dragging on for a long time. I mean, the matches in, in question took place in, in early in 2010, and uh, FIFA's Ethics Committee finally coming up with uh, with some sanctions and, and not good news for South African football. No, it's not good news at all. Lyndon Akita was actually the head of national teams in 2010 when these four matches in question took place. They happened in May, just before South Africa hosted the World Cup. They were against Thailand, Bulgaria, Colombia and Guatemala. South Africa won Two, uh, won three of those four matches. There was a draw against Bulgaria, but we won the other matches. And the matches that were particularly targeted were the games against Colombia, which South Africa won 2-1, and against Guatemala, which South Africa won 5-0. Now, a win against Guatemala, uh, against Guatemala, maybe we could pull it off 5-0, possibly unlikely. Colombia had a good team. So a 2-1 win for South Africa against Colombia at the time was something of a surprise. It's been a very long time in coming, as you said. Initially, there was talk about it and nothing really happened. And then there was confirmation that FIFA were investigating. And then FIFA handed over the investigation to SAFA. SAFA said they were going to investigate, but then they handed back to FIFA. Um, and FIFA is in the investigatory chamber of the FIFA Ethics Committee has been looking into it for quite some time. Now, Ace Kika has been banned for six years, but he wasn't the only person who was fingered in the initial FIFA report. The latest statement doesn't name anybody else, and it gives very little detail. But in the initial report that came out a couple of years ago, also mentioned were Kirsten Nimitandane, who was the president at the time, Leslie Sadiba, who was the CEO at the time, and then two referee bosses in South Africa, Adil Carlson and Steve Goddard. The details we don't know yet. Who took money from where and how much money was handed over, we don't know. What we do know is that it's, uh, the, the match fixing involved Wilson Mudge Perumal. That name may be familiar to anybody who's been following this at all because he's been convicted twice of match fixing in the past, once in Singapore and once in Finland. And he was actually seen in South Africa at the time that these matches took place. Um, and the allegation is that um, he, were, he, he paid um, some of the SAFA authorities. We don't know exactly for what and for how much. But his company certainly provided referees for those matches. So the allegation, by the way, we should make it clear, not against the Bafana Bafana players, but against officials and referees. Janet, it's an interesting one because, as you say, it was a bit of a, a hot potato and it was passed from FIFA to SAFA and then back to FIFA. And it, it's gone a bit quiet and now all of a sudden uh, the ban's been handed down. Do you think there's going to be more more people who, who will be found guilty in, in, in this case in particular that, that affects South Africa? Can we see more? You mentioned those other names. Uh, is, is there more, more to come? I think there might very well be more to come um, in this situation. Some of those names were mentioned. Many of them are not involved in soccer at all anymore. 
but um, on the periphery of this investigation were people like Dennis Mumble and Barney Kajane, who are still very high up in SAFA. Um, and I think that there could, they could be a knock-on effect. I think that uh, Ace Kika's um, suspension is just the first. I think there is more to come because, it's just because as far as we're aware, there's some pretty strong evidence particularly against Abiel Carlson and Steve Goddard. So I think that um, I think that we haven't heard the last from them. And the reason, part, of, part of the reason that's come out now from FIFA is FIFA are desperate to try and fix their image, and they're trying to show that they are trying to fix everything, not just the corruption at the, at the top, but the corruption everywhere. They're trying to clean up the image of soccer. So, um, you know, we'll get one suspension today, we'll get a couple more next week, and we'll get a few more the week after that, just to prove that FIFA are doing doing what they say that they're doing. Yeah, Janet, I also think it's important to 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 mention that this case and, and the match-fixing case is not linked at all to what's happening with, with the, the leadership of, of FIFA and, and people being suspended and set black to Michel Petit. It's two totally separate cases. I, I mean, it just shows you the, the extent of, of what's happening in football. And it's, I mean, it's in various camps, there's just so much corruption going on. And, and it's important for, for FIFA to root this out. You know, I did a, um, a a study the other day, um, Brad, when when Sepp Blatter's suspension was announced, and I a list of the FIFA Executive Committee member names from 2010, which was the time when the voting happened for the 2018 and 2022 World Cups, which are under scrutiny, obviously. There were 24 members then, before the voting even happened. Two of those members were prevented from voting because of allegations of corruption. The 22 remaining names that were that that voted for the 2018 and 2022 Olympics as our bigger part in World Cup already 13 of them have either been suspended, banned, or at least implicated in some kind of corruption. So yes, I mean it is absolutely horrifying, and this has nothing to do with that, and this has nothing also to do with the allegations about South Africa and the 10 million dollars that was supposedly paid to Jack Warner. That's another story as well. So yes, I mean. The, the, the fingers just reach all over the place in, in, in the FIFA saga. Janet, just to wrap things up, this six-year ban that uh, Ace Kicker has been, been handed, it's a, it's a FIFA ban. Could, could he face criminal prosecution for his, his role in, in, in this story? He could, but it's um, it's 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 difficult to see who would actually lay charges because, and that's the that's part of the problem that FIFA faced. Um, with Wilson Permo, um, charges were actually laid by the authorities in Finland and in Singapore in those in, in those situations where he was found guilty. South Africa have been trying to have been stepping very lightly here, and I don't think they want to implicate too many people. And it would take South African authorities to actually lay criminal charges because it was supposedly an act that took in South Africa and South African soil. I don't think criminal charges are going to be laid. In a sense, it's meaningless because he's not involved in soccer anymore anyway. Doesn't mean he can't get involved in the future. Yeah, interesting indeed. Apologies for the line breaking up there just towards the end. But uh, Janet Whitten, thank you so much for your time. Uh, I know this is keeping you extremely busy uh, sort of following this. But uh, yeah, it's fascinating to see what's going on in football uh, and particularly world football at the moment. And we'll keep you updated here on SAFM as the story unfolds because there is, I also feel, a lot more to come. Thanks for your time this evening. Much appreciated. Join us this Thursday on Top Filling as we celebrate the first wedding anniversary of Chris and Cholofelo Majaba. 
to Ajax Cape Town captain Travis Graham, only his girlfriend is more beautiful than the beautiful game. Olympic hurdler LJ Fonsale ponders which direction his son might take. And Black Cop is back with a new album. That's Top Billing this Thursday night at 7.30. Repeat Sunday at 12.30. Find it on 3. If you ever thought that switching off your geezer can't make a difference, think again. The nearly 5.4 million electric geezers in South Africa use about 2,940 megawatts of electricity during the evening peak between 5 and 9 p.m. That's enough power for a big city the size of Durban. So think about installing a timer to switch it off for you. Imagine if everyone did just this. Maybe there would indeed be enough power to go around. Hashtag 49M. SAFM Sports Wrap. Well, earlier today at the Shanghai Masters, South Africa's Kevin Anderson advanced through to the third round. He'll play Kainishi Corey in that round, and Tom Bartlett caught up with him following his victory. Well, Kevin, um, congratulations. A uh, couple of relatively tough sets. Uh, Fabio's been playing pretty well, but it's good, good to continue on with uh, the way you're performing Shana the recent weeks. Yeah, definitely. I thought it was really important for me to go out there and uh, really try and impose my tennis as much as possible. Um, you know, he's such a great striker of the ball, moves so well. Um, really try to take it to him as much as I could. Uh, you know, come in, especially when he's on defense, he gets back into so many points. I thought it was important to try and take that away from him as much as possible. I had to serve well. Um, you know, I felt that I did those two things, uh, you know, very, uh, very well today. Kane Ashikori in the next round. Obviously, that, uh, he's had a, a tough win today, but um, you know, he's one of the best players in the world at the moment as well. So, that, so what, are your, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, didn't know. And you know, until you just mentioned it now. Um, so I'm just playing a little bit. Um, obviously, had a, must have had a tough match against Keras. Obviously, would have won in three then. Um, played K a couple of times. Um, you know, obviously, like he's, he's proven himself to be one of the best players in the world. I mean, he's been in top five for a while now. Um, you know, really, uh, just a, you know, very solid from the back. Moves very well. Similar to today's match a little bit. Um, style of tennis, I think he's a. Uh, um, you know, does a few things a little bit differently. But you know, from my side, I'm going to have to. You know, have a very similar mindset uh, like I did in today's match. Great, thanks so much. That was Kevin Anderson catching up with Tom Bartlett. So we'll have more coverage of the Shanghai Masters tomorrow here on SAFM. And that's it for SAFM Sports Wrap tonight. I'm Brad Brown. Before I do go, let me give you a quick cricket score. The Dolphins, 72 for three. They need 205 uh, more runs, seven wickets remaining. And that's 37.5 overs. The talk shop is up next. Have yourself a wonderful evening. The PSL radio show Second Jalo is back uh, tomorrow at 6.30. I'll be back on Sports Wrap on Friday. But uh, until then, have yourself a great evening. Cheers.